You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? Doing okay, Nick. How are you? Good. February. February. Beautiful February, Michigan day. And we're talking about um, taxes. I can't think of a, a better thing that I would uh, I would enjoy more than this right here. Well, we'll, <laughs> uh, we'll round it out with the, the fact I've got a cold, and so I'll probably be coughing through all this. It is not COVID. I did take a test last night just to make sure. But uh, winter head cold nonetheless, so... There you go. A soldier on. I like it. A cold and winter and taxes. You're having a great yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Might as well get it all get it all into one. <laughs> I like it. We decided to talk a little bit about taxes today, Dave. We obviously this time of year get a ton of questions around what do I need to fill out my taxes this year? And if I do get a tax form, why am I getting this form? What does it mean? What do I need to do with it? So I thought we'd just kind of do a brief overview of the different types of accounts, how they're taxed, and how you'll see that show up in the form of um, something that you get from your custodian or something you have to put into your tax forms. I guess the easiest one to start with, or the place that most people have, is retirement accounts. So your IRAs, you know, your traditional IRA, your 401k, your separate simple IRA. There's obviously a lot more out there, but those are probably the most common ones that we deal with with our clients in addition to the 401k. Now, the 401k is a little bit different because your payroll services of your employer kind of takes care of all of that for you. So not a lot that you need to do as far as right. contributions go. Right. Um, but if you if you have a distribution, you will get a form from them, a distribution from your 401k. They'll send you a form for that. So IRAs. Um, so I guess we can talk a little bit about how IRAs are taxed and what you might look for in the, in the form of uh, something you should be receiving from your custodian. So in most cases, a traditional IRA or a rollover IRA are pre-tax dollars. So the dollars you take out are taxed as income. How you recognize that on your taxes is whoever your custodian is. So for example, TD Ameritrade, if you have an IRA with them, they will send you a form called a 1099-R that will list out in detail all of the distributions that you took last year and whatever tax withholding you elected on those distributions. Yeah, and those, those usually come out the uh, last day or two of January. Everybody's usually got them by uh, the first week of February. 1099R, it's pretty straightforward. There are non-deductible IRAs out there. We should talk about those maybe for a minute. Those get a lot more complicated in terms of um, money going in, going out. You'll get the same 1099R on a deductible IRA, but it's up to you and your uh, tax professional to show what portion of that was uh, taxable. And that's one of those that you have to track every year and make sure that you send in a, a form to the IRS of what's taxable, what's not taxable. And then when you take distributions, you get to let them know what portion is taxable and not taxable. Another tricky thing we should probably cover in IRAs is if you make contributions to an IRA, that may or may not be deductible. And it kind of depends on how much income you have and if you have a retirement plan at work. And right. we can post those details in the show notes. We don't need to go through the exact numbers because 
you know, we'll probably make something up and it won't be exactly right, but it'll be close. But, uh, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, will I get a form for this from my, um, my custodian? And the answer is yes, but it will be after your tax filing deadline. Right. So it won't be helpful to you. Right. Um, and that form is a, a 5498. And there's a reason yeah. that that comes after tax time. Yeah. It drives people nuts because they get that usually in May. And uh, it's obviously not meant to be included with your taxes the way a 1099-R is. It's more something to keep in your file in case the IRS ever asked you for it. But that's because on a lot of IRAs, you have up until you file your taxes to put money in them. So they can't necessarily require that form to be to you ahead of tax filing day because you may not have made the relevant contributions yet. So those usually come out sometimes. I want to say they're supposed to be in the mail by May 15th. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you receive those and I tell people just, you know, throw it in your tax file. If it ever comes up, you know, you got it, but it shows what went into an IRA account. Right. So you don't need the actual form to file your taxes. You can go to your custodian and they um, will keep track typically of your contributions for the year and what year they were credited. And so you can look at those contributions throughout the year and you can also make additional contributions, like you said, Dave, up until April 15th. So if you haven't maxed out your IRA for 2021, you still have about two months, a little over two months to make those contributions for last year and put that on your taxes. Same goes for a Roth IRA. The only difference being the Roth IRA, you're not going to get a tax break, um, but you can still make those contributions for the year. I don't know if we want to mention it here. I guess I guess now's a good time to mention it. If we have we have a lot of clients that do qualified charitable distributions from their IRAs during the year, and that can be confusing at tax time too because. Your 1099 is still going to show the total amount you took out from your IRA, whatever relevant tax withholding you had, but it's up to you to then tell the IRS or tell your tax preparer so that they can tell the IRS how much you actually sent to charities directly from that. And you'll know if you did, you know, we, we talked to clients a lot about doing qualified charitable distributions. And I think we've done a podcast on that too, but on your tax, essentially on your 1040, when you file your taxes, there's a line for total IRA distributions, then a line for total taxable IRA distributions. And so let's say you had $10,000 of distributions total for the year. You would put that on line, I think it's 15A, but you'd put that on line A for that, that group. But say you did 3,000 of those as distributions to charities that don't count as income, you would then put $7,000 on the taxable line. And that's what your tax is based on. So if you did qualify charitable distributions during the year, make sure that you talk to your tax preparer about that or put it into the tax software you use correctly so you get credit for that. Yeah, those are big ones that sometimes, you know, people miss or people assume that it's going to be, you know, an easy process. And, you know, a lot of this comes down to communication and, and we do a lot of communicating with people's tax preparers, people's CPAs, make sure we're all on the same page because sometimes things get lost into translation. And so it's just one of those things that you're going to want to make sure that you pay a little closer attention to for the time. Well, and... and... One last thing that pops in my head is before we move on is sometimes you'll get a 1099 for an IRA that you transferred or from a 401k that you rolled over. And technically, 
that is taxable, but the old custodian may send a 1099-R showing the um, distribution. And there again, that that second line comes into play. If you did a $10,000 rollover from a 401k to an IRA, your 1099 may show that $10,000, but you would put on the um, next line that zero of that was taxable. And you actually, <laughs> the IRS has all these neat forms with neat little columns for everything. But on that one, I believe the instructions are, are to write in the margin rollover. Right. So, you know, you need to be aware of these little nuances. It's another another reason why we tell people to work with a tax preparer because they're going to know how to do these things right. But, you know, if you did any of those things during the year, if you did rollovers or transfers, you know, I tell people just just let make sure your CPA, your tax preparer knows. Um, it doesn't just assume that a distribution on a 1099 was money that you received. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think even to take a step back and to let people know that kind of the purpose of a 1099 is obviously to inform you of a transaction, but that also goes to the IRS so that they're aware of it. So if you get a 1099-R from a rollover and instead of putting that in your taxes, you put it in the shred bin or the trash can, um, the IRS will eventually track you down and say, hey, by the way, what happened to this, you know, big uh, taxable or this this um, 1099R and why didn't you account for it in your taxes? And you probably owe us a bunch of money and then you got to... They're going to assume that. it's taxable until you tell them otherwise. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that happen a few times. And they usually come in October and you'll get a letter from the IRS that says, you showed $10,000 of distributions on your, on your um, you know, maybe you did a $100,000 rollover at some point, which isn't taxable. And they're going to say, you know, you had $110,000 of rollovers you or distributions and you only claim 10. So we figure in your tax bracket, you owe us $30,000. If you agree to this, write a check and attach it to this form. If you disagree with this, please respond within, you know, so many days. And I've had a few people get those kind of notices and just assume that the IRS was absolutely right when they said they owed all that tax. And, you know, you, I've yet to see a situation where the IRS wasn't just, bl- you know, you've got to call their bluff, I guess is the, <laughs> the way to put it. Well, you know, it's it's not uncommon, doesn't happen all the time, but I have seen it happen where some of those 1099s are incorrect, so the 1099Rs, and depending on the distribution type, it's um, not as common with the not as common with rollovers because those are usually processed, but a lot of times with um, transfers of tax deferred accounts, things like that, sometimes that doesn't get coded properly. So you just got to make sure that you pay attention to what that is saying is happening and make sure that matches what with what actually happened. So there, you know, you can also do a sixty day rollover, which we don't need to get into huge detail. But in that case, you actually are going to get a taxable distribution. You're going to have to quantify that with the fact that that what got put back into a qualified account within 60 days and it's not taxable. So different variations, different things to look out for, but definitely want to make sure that you are keeping those forms, getting them to your tax professional and letting them know exactly what happened so that they're not trying to read behind between the lines either. So on the other side of things, on the more complicated, more exciting side, I suppose, is taxable accounts. So this comes in a couple different forms. Um, you know, you might have a revocable living trust that you put in the name of an account, or it might be an individual account or a joint account or a transfer on death account. All of those kind of signal the same thing. And that is 
the investments in that account, you have to pay taxes on any gains or any activity in that account. And your custodian as such is going to send you um, a 1099 for those with a couple different 1099s that are consolidated typically on one form. And so those are things that you need to pay attention to as well. That would include any dividends created by stocks or, or mutual funds that you may hold in one of those accounts. And within dividends, there's two basic types. There's qualified dividends and non-qualified dividends, which are taxed as income. Um, and then there's interest, which would include any bond interest that, uh, you may get from those accounts or that the funds may generate. And then there's also tax exempt interest, which gets reported on a 1099, but you don't actually have to claim as income for taxes. That's taxes generated by municipal bonds or municipal bond funds. And then there's capital gains and capital losses. So if you buy or sell investments in an account like that during the year, if you make money on those investments, you have to pay capital gains tax, or you may have to pay capital gains tax. And if you lost money, you have capital loss. And so the 1099, consolidated 1099 report for those accounts will list out each of those transactions, show whether you had gains or losses, whether they were short-term losses or long-term losses. Essentially, you add up all your short-term losses and figure out the net. You figure out your net long-term gain and loss. And you ended up with long-term, or if you ended up with total gains, you're going to have tax. And if you ended up with loss, you can use it to offset gains on other things, or you can carry over some of that loss, or you can use up to $3,000 a year to offset income. Yeah, this is one that um, obviously it sounds really complicated. And, you know, with the consolidated 1099s, it's usually not as complicated. You know, I've seen those forms in the, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 page range before. Um, but the most, you know, they do a nice job of summing it up for you. So they don't have to go through and add all that up. Uh, but it's kind of interesting. A lot of times, especially when clients first start having these forms, they're like, you know, it, just because your account is up or down doesn't necessarily mean you will or won't be paying taxes. And that's kind of an interesting thing inside of those accounts. So let's say you put in $10,000 at the end of the year, it's $10,000. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't be paying any taxes because there's no gain in the account from a total gain perspective. You might have dividend income in there. You might have you know, some sales in there that generated some taxable gains or taxable losses. So it's not always intuitive from the standpoint of, I started the year at 10,000, I ended the year at 10,000. So that means I don't have to pay any taxes. And so I think sometimes that catches people by surprise. It can be surprising and it can be frustrating if, uh, if you feel like you're not making any money yet, you're still getting a tax bill. Get ready for the biggest marketing summit in Lansing's history. Circle Friday, May 6, 2022 on your calendar. Zedia Media will be hosting the summit at the Royal Scott Banquet Facility. 
All the big bosses of marketing will be there, including key sponsors like M Connections, Super Web Pros, Uno Deuce Multimedia, Paper Image, Michigan Creative, Jungle Jane, and Weathervane Roofing. Tickets are on sale now at ZediaMedia.com. That's Z-E-E-D-I-A Media.com. 17 presentations on marketing trends you need to know for your business. Big prizes, lots of fun. Your presence will be honored. Your absence will be noted. Good investment advisors will manage any taxable account, meaning non-IRA, non-retirement, non-tax sheltered account, differently than a um, account that does have preferential tax treatment, knowing that you're going to get a tax bill at the end of the year. So, you know, at least from our point of view, we try to mitigate any tax expense. And, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but essentially, you know, controlling dividend and, and municipal bond, you know, trying to create interest that's going to be tax exempt and, and interest that's going to be, um, I'm sorry, dividends are going to be treated as qualified dividends and minimizing turnover that creates capital gains. You know, you can't let taxes drive the investment costs necessarily, but you do have to be cognizant of it. It's more complicated and it's, it's you know, a different feel. In an IRA, we can basically, you know, put anything in there because the taxes don't matter. It's going to be taxed the same way, whether you have, a, you know, a, a bond fund or a stock fund, everything's going to be taxed when you take it out as a distribution. In a taxable account, we have to pay attention to what kind of taxes that we're generating. And to your point, we try to control or mitigate those. But there's also years and circumstances where, you know, maybe you were laid off from work for a couple of months. And so we're trying to fill up a tax bracket, or maybe you are expecting future income to go up. And so we're trying to take, you know, we're trying to pay as much tax now as we can. Um, or, you know, you have a situation where you have a bunch of losses we're trying to offset, or you have higher taxes this year. So we're pushing off all those tax decisions and all those tax changes to the following year. There's it's a lot more things that can, can happen in those accounts. So it takes, a, you know, we have to take a closer look at those. Um, but it, and, but that's kind of where, you know, we have a situation where you could have a really good year and not pay very much in taxes, or you could have a bad year and end up paying in taxes. And that's, you know, your, your total return isn't necessarily representative of what your tax bill is. All that said, I mean, that, that all sounds like a real negative for this stuff, but you know, a lot of times you're still better off in the long run in an account in a taxable account than you would necessarily be in putting the same money in something that's tax deferred. And the, the reason is this. So if you're managing it correctly for taxes down the road, when you take money out of that account, you're mostly dealing with capital gains and you're going to get to, first of all, you don't get taxed on the amount that you put into the account. You get taxed on the growth and it's taxed at generally preferential rates. And so there's, there's always this tension here because a lot of, well, there are, there are products out there that you can put after-tax money in that are not IRAs, basically insurance products, annuities and, and whole life policies. You can put your money in and you do not get a 1099 every February for it. That money grows tax-deferred. But at some point, that growth comes out and then it's taxed as income rather than capital gains as it would be in a regular investment. And so while 
a lot of um, folks push those, or I shouldn't say push, advise people to use those accounts while they're saving because they won't get taxed on it as it goes. They forget about the fact that they may be taxed as income when it comes out instead of capital gains. And down the road, that may end up meaning you pay more in tax. So especially if you've got a lot of IRA accounts and other things out there that are also tax deferred. So I know you and I have talked about this with a lot of younger clients that are fortunate enough to be able to already be maxing out their 401ks and want to pay more. Go ahead and use, from our point of view, usually you're better off using an after-tax account and just managing those taxes like we just described rather than using some kind of insurance product that's going to be tax deferred. Because down the road, if you're maxing out your 401k now, and that's all coming out as income in retirement, and then you're taking things out of tax deferred um, after uh, non-retirement accounts and paying income tax on the growth, that could add up to a lot more in tax than, than paying some capital gains as you go. Those taxable accounts, they are more complicated, but they also have, in a lot of cases, like you were saying, preferential tax treatment when it comes to the rate that you're paying on a long-term capital gain or a qualified dividend usually ends up being a lot lower than your income tax rate. And you know, if you manage that properly, it really does benefit you in the long run especially for, you know, younger clients. And, you know, there's some things you got to pay attention to. It's not just that simple cut and dry. It's always going to be better. So there's things that you have to look at as far as where you fall and where you think you're going to fall and, you know, what the tax landscape is like anything. But yeah, I wouldn't shy away from a taxable account or, or try to get everything tax deferred or have everything in a retirement account because you don't want to pay taxes on it now because eventually you'll the tax bill will always come due, right? Death and taxes, the only certainty in life. So yeah. <laughs> so you definitely want to kind of play the game. And like you said, Dave, when it comes to retirement, when it comes to using this money, it's nice to have tax diversification. And what we mean by that is you've got some money in retirement accounts that you're going to pay taxes on that you didn't pay taxes on when they were growing. You've got some Roth IRA money that's going to come out tax-free. You've got some taxable money that you pay on going. And that just gives you a lot of options to figure out what's going to be the best for you and change when things change in the tax code and, and when things look differently. And so we always love to see tax diversification for most folks when it comes to what their investments are in. When do you actually get your 1099 consolidated report from a taxable investment account? Well, that can definitely vary. And that's been a, a sticking point for a lot of people. And a lot of it depends on what you own in that particular account. You know, I've I've seen tax statements come out very, very late to much people's, you know, surmise where they are getting them. And I actually had a situation probably about six or seven years ago where we had a correction that came out, a corrected 1099 that came out like April 1st. <laughs> So um, that's kind of like a, a horror story. But for the most part, middle of February, about now is when those are coming out. And so it, it used to be back in the good old days when life was simple. All 1099s, regardless of type, had to be in the mail by January 31st. So retirement accounts, consolidated accounts on, on, tax, on taxable investments all had to be in the mail at the same time. But then what happened? Right around 2003, we had major changes to the tax code that complicated the reporting. Back when dividends were split into ordinary dividends and qualified dividends and a lot of foreign investment tax law changed. 
And then, so what happened was the first year or two. So what, what people had to realize is, is the, the first draft of a 1099 had to be in the mail by January 31st, but they, but custodians had until May 15th to issue corrected 1099s. Now you'll notice May 15th is a month after you are required to file your taxes. And that first, I, Nick, were you in the business in 2003? I was not, no. Yeah, I, I was fairly new back then. But you, we had people getting multiple 1099s, corrected 1099s those first couple of years after the tax law changed because the custodians had to get them in the mail by January 31st, but they didn't have to be right. And... I don't think I had anybody get one after April 15th, but we got some pretty darn close those first couple of years. And I had, I remember one client that first year having his taxes done, I think three times because he kept getting different. And it's because what happens is if you've got an account full of mutual funds, every mutual fund manager has to report up their share of what happened inside their fund. And all of those things cascade up to the custodian who then has to figure out your share based on your account and what you own. And if any one of those mutual funds gets something categorized wrong, they have to redo the whole thing. And so then, so what they all do now is they appeal to the IRS every year for an extension to the deadline. And so it's usually three weeks that they can pretty much get automatically. And they've got it down now that most of the custodians can get them done by mid-February without too much trouble. And I have not seen a corrected one in a while. And I know TD Ameritrade, our, our major custodian, they, they put them out in groups because they'll look and see, okay, this particular account doesn't have a lot of foreign like foreign investments international mutual funds tend to be the ones that have the most corrections to them so if you had an account that didn't have any of that in it they may post your 1099 like the first week of february because they're pretty sure yours is right but those ones that are trickier they, they've been doing them in batches so that they can pretty much get them all done by late february it's frustrating and we get Every year calls, you know, I'm waiting on that one 1099. And, uh, you know, at this point, your CPA, your tax preparer, they know if you've got a taxable account, there's not anything anybody can do about it. You'll get it as soon as, as, soon as it posts. But uh, it's, uh, it's just the way of the world nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, it seems scary to, you know, everybody wants to be done and have their taxes in by April 15th. But, you know, it, really to file a tax extension isn't the end of the world. Uh, most on most accounts, you know, you don't have to just because you're waiting till February. You know, I have clients that already have their taxes done, which kind of blows my mind. I haven't even really started thinking about mine. Um <laughs> But, you know, it, it's not the end of the world to file an extension. I've had to do it before. and, and that, um, But yes, they have been seemingly coming out later, but that's for good reason because you'd rather have it a little bit later and correct than having a corrected one later on where you have to refile and redo your taxes. So the, the good with the bad. Yeah, that was the moral of that story is that 2003, 2004 were horrible. But then when they started getting the extensions, the number of corrected 1099s dropped substantially. And I don't think we had anybody get a corrected 1099 last year. I'd have to go back and look. But, you know, it's pretty rare now. 
Yeah, I don't remember seeing one. So another thing in those taxable accounts as well, um, our clients, we don't really deal with these, but there are some investments that will also kick off a K-1 depending on how it's mm-hmm. set up and yep. what, it's, what it is. And Our those typically come even later than the yes. 1099s. And so depending on what you have in your account, that's another thing to look out for is you might be getting a K-1 from an investment company. Yes, it's pretty rare. And usually like nothing... Nothing that you or I purchase for a client in our normal models would create that. But I have had some clients transfer in some things and they're usually, they're limited partnerships that do that. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times they're um, resource related. Like I know, um, like some pipeline companies and such are organized as limited partnerships and they're just the way they pass their taxes through their owners is different than normal stock. Companies. So just be aware um, they're pain, <laughs> but, but they're yes, they are. <laughs> so I think that about wraps it up. Hopefully, that's been informative, kind of a, a, of an outlay of what to expect come tax season. And it seems daunting and scary sometimes, especially when you get those big consolidated 1099s. But I guarantee, if you use an experienced tax professional, they've seen it all. And it's, you know, it's not that daunting when you start getting into the, the details of it. And it's a great reason to have a tax professional so you don't have to worry about what's on those and they can make sure and, and, and have one that works hand in hand with your advisor so that they can be on the same page as far as what's on that form and how we can maybe limit what's on that form and, and making sure you understand all the retirement pieces as well. So um, it's very informative. Always a pleasure, Dave. And we will make sure that we put out those show notes for some of the stuff we talked about, contributions and and the, the like. So if you have any questions on taxes, um, email us at info at srbadvisors.com. Keep in mind, Dave and I are not tax professionals, nor do we ever intend to be tax professionals. So we very well might may well take your question and refer it to one of our tax professional friends uh, for an exact answer. But um, other than that, always a pleasure, Dave. Thanks, Nick. Have a good day. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.